scripture. But uh, no, I want to I want to continue this morning in the Gospel of John, and we're going to start with John chapter three in verse one. But we're, before we get there, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with those who are here, with those who will listen over podcast. Lord, I thank you for the different avenues we have to share your word, to share your gospel. Lord, we think this last week of a man who shared your gospel named Billy Graham. Lord, that he's gone home to be with you. Lord, uh, we, we, we pray that you give comfort and peace to his family. Lord, that you are the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we thank you that he uh, was a good and faithful servant and millions of people were saved through that ministry. Lord, I pray this morning that your holy presence would just be here among us. Lord, that you would spend time with us. Lord, that you would uh, just enlighten us to, to your word and what it says. And as we dig deep into the story of Nicodemus, Lord, I just pray that you would just be all over it. Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, but your words. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, I need your strength this morning. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, John chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. How many people uh, are familiar with the story of Nicodemus? Some of you may, most of you may, I'm not sure. But, it, but if you're not familiar with the scripture, we start with the introduction of this man, Nicodemus. Say Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Say Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Amen. He was a Pharisee. What does that mean? It means that he was a super religious guy. He was a religious leader in Israel. And he was all about the rules and regulations. How many know somebody that's all about the rules and regulations? Come on. He was a Pharisee. This, th- th- what this meant was that he was a ruler of the Jews. It meant that he was a man in charge. He was a man in charge. He was an educated man. He was rule-oriented, and he was a leader in his faith. This man came... Let's, let's see what happens here. So he's a Pharisee, but this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. One pastor said, we're going to call this Nick at night. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I kind of groaned a little too. Uh, Nick at night, he comes to Jesus by night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. This man comes under the cover of darkness. He comes in secret. There's uh, some speculation as to why he did this. But mostly, it's it, maybe he was he couldn't come out in the daytime. Maybe he couldn't expose himself as speaking to Jesus during the daytime. Uh, he came in secret. I think most importantly is he wanted to have a private discussion with Jesus. How many ever just want to have a discussion with Jesus? I just want to have just a private discussion sometimes with my Savior. He comes to him in secret. He wants to have the discussion with him in private. And it's interesting that the first words from Nicodemus are words of humility. The first words out of Nicodemus are rabbi. He refers to Jesus as rabbi. Rabbi, it means teacher. It's the distinction that's given to the most learned. 
It's the distinction given to the most educated. He, he could have, pro, have approached Jesus as a teacher himself. He could have approached Jesus as a teacher himself saying, Hey, Jesus, you know, I got some things to teach you. Because he had far more education. His credentials were probably much higher than that of Jesus. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, an educated man. But he approaches Jesus not as a teacher. He approaches Jesus as a student. I think it's important that in our lives, we approach Jesus as, Lord, what can you teach me? Anything you have to teach me, here I am. And he says this, he says, we know that you are a teacher. The word, uh, the words there, we know, uh, are more accurately translated, it's known. So Nicodemus isn't talking about himself and a, a lot of other people. He's not saying we know. He's saying it's known that you are a teacher come from God. Now, he has it close here, but not quite, because he's not talking to a teacher from God. He's talking to God. Amen? Amen? We've talked about this. He's not just talking to a teacher from God. There are teachers from God. Those are good teachers. He's talking to God. We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This, too, was, wasn't entirely true. Jesus says there would be false teachers and false prophets and they would do false miracles and false signs. Nicodemus comes to him with a bit of a bent. In the Old Testament, if you were a rabbi, and even today if you're a rabbi in the Jewish faith, uh, likely you would have measured, uh, memorized all of the Old Testament. You would have memorized all of the Old Testament. Especially, uh, you would have memorized the Torah by the time you were 13 years old. The first five books of the Bible. How many know some memory verses? Amen? How many know a few memory verses? Gary, you know some? Do you know all five books of the Torah? Nope. (laughs) You know Jesus wept. That's a good one. He knows Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, and Gary knows it. Hallelujah, I know that one too. It's funny that Nicodemus would have had had to memorize all of the Old Testament. He would have had to memorize all of the miracles and, and the amazing things that the presence of God did for the nation of Israel. He would have, he would have had to memorize, he would, he would have had them in his heart. He would have thought about them. All the miracles that God had performed but it's likely that in his life he'd never truly seen one until Jesus comes. It's likely that in his life he'd never truly seen one. And Jesus answers him and says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whenever Jesus says truly, truly, uh, it's, it means like verily, verily. He's saying this, believe me when I say this. Do you understand? Jesus says, listen, believe me when I say this. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a stunning, stunning thing to say to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus, is, I like what one commentator said. Let me say this. Jesus' reply to Nicodemus shattered the Jewish assumption that their racial identity 
meaning their old birth, who they, how, how they were born, what family they were born into. Their old birth assured them a place in God's kingdom. Jesus made it plain that a man's first birth does not assure him of the kingdom. Only being a born again gives you this assurance. Amen? I'm going to be saying amen a lot today. Amen? It doesn't matter what family or race you grew up in. It doesn't matter whether you were, whether you grew up rich or poor. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. I grew up poor. I just, I know it. There's some people that grew up rich. Some people had more opportunities than I had. Sometimes I had more opportunities than other people. Guess what? None of it mattered. It didn't matter how educated you were or uneducated, how privileged or unprivileged. Unless you are born again, you will not experience the kingdom of God. You will not. Unless you are born again. Nicodemus hears this and he asks uh, a question that seems a bit funny. He says this. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? If you think about it, it's kind of funny. He's saying, whoa, Jesus, hold on a second. This, this, born, this concept of being born again was unheard of. What, is it? what do you mean born again? You mean I have to be born again? I'm an old man. You mean I have to be born again? Can a man enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? There's, some, there's something kind of funny about this. The notion, it was just, it was, it seems that in Nicodemus being taken aback by the response, he just goes to the basic question first. The basic question, I, I, I kind of suspect that Jesus was kind of amused by this. I, I kind of think Jesus is sitting there talking with Nicodemus and Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus goes, Jesus, Rabbi, uh, how is this going to happen? And Jesus is kind of, I think he, Jesus is a little bit amused, but he gives him a very serious answer. And he, sa- he answers with this. He says, truly, truly, remember, believe me when I say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, say water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water, say water, and the Spirit, say Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I say to you, you must be born again. Don't, don't, don't be enamored by that. Don't, be, don't marvel at it. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, truly, truly, believe me when I say this, unless one is born of water, say water, or spirit, and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does born of water mean? How many would say it means baptism? It doesn't. Did you know that? It doesn't mean being water baptized. Jesus is speaking to a ruler of the Jews. He's not speaking to a new believer. He's not speaking to a 
a, a Gentile, most theologians would say this, that it's, it's not a reference to water baptism, but a specific reference to a prophecy that Nicodemus would be aware of. A, a prophecy in the Old Testament. The prophecy is found in Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel 36, in verse 25 through 27. And it says this. Go to the next slide. This is, uh, this is from the message uh, paraphrasing, and I want to say it this way. Because this is what it says, I'm going to take you out of these countries, gather you from all over, and bring you back to your own land. This is a prophecy. I'll give you, or I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commandments. Amen? Amen? When, when Jesus says these words, go back to the first verse, go back to the last verse there. Truly, truly, unless one is born of water and the spirit, the water he is talking about is the cleansing flood. Amen? How many want to be cleansed by the washing of the word? How many want the Bible to show us how to live and how to live rightly? How to live accurately and rightly? Being born of the water points to the fact that God will change your heart. He will change your desires. Unless you're born of the water, unless God changes your heart, unless God changes your desires, that old stony flesh that was callous towards God will be made tender towards the Spirit. How many know someone or, or you were someone that your heart was just callous towards God? Come on. We've all been there, right? Callous towards God. Some people say, oh, I grew up in the church. No, I grew up in the church. I loved it. I grew up in the church too. And there was a point where my heart was just callous towards God. I just spit Mike. I apologize. Where my heart was just callous towards God. And then a moment happens where your heart becomes tender towards God. How many have ever been there? How many know that that's, that's the way salvation works? That's what it means to be born again. Amen? I've accepted Christ into my life, and now I don't live according to my will, but His will. Amen? There are people, how many ever met somebody that just seems unreachable? Yeah? How many ever met somebody that just seems, man, I could talk to them till I'm blue in the face, right? But you just, no, no, there's no, I don't even need to talk to that person about Jesus. They're just not going to get it, right? There's people in this world that just seem unreachable. A hardened person, cold-hearted, obstinate, mean, nasty people, right? How many know somebody like that? Come on, you bunch of liars, raise your hands. Come on. <laughs> cold-hearted, mean, nasty, obstinate people. They, they seem destined for hell, right? I mean, I mean, it's, it's God's job to, to judge eternity, but, but if we're looking at it, we're going, 
Yeah. Mm, uh, we look at some and we go, I mean, we look at some people and, I mean, there's just a glow and wow, just Steve. Steve's going to heaven. Hallelujah. It's going to be a party up there. They're going to be doing tractor runs and all sorts of stuff. And There's some people you look on their face. I don't know, a tractor run, whatever. <laughs> Gary's like, I'll be there too. <laughs> Oh, man. But there's some people you look upon. The, I look upon Bonnie's face and just the joy of the Lord. Right? Amen. She has the joy of the Lord. And I say, I see the joy of the Lord on her on Bob's face. Are you kidding me? Bob, stand up. Look at this guy's mug. Turn around. He's got the joy of the Lord, man. <laughs> He's got the joy of the Lord. There's some people that you go, man, they're destined for heaven. I can't wait to be up there with them. They're gonna, it's gonna be a party. There's some people you look and go, ooh. Not based on looks or nothing. I'm not going there. But you go, that's just, that's just a hardened, cold-hearted, obstinate, mean person. Just, I don't know what, they're, they're probably not destined for where Bob's going. They got other plans. Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever been somebody like that? Come on. I want to tell you a story this morning. Because here's the thing. No matter who it is, when the Spirit of God touches somebody and the water of God cleanses somebody, they will look different. They will sound different. They will act different than who they were before. Amen? They will be an entirely different person. Why? Because they have been born again. I want to share the story with you of a young man who grew up in a place called Puerto Rico. His family, or his father, listen to this, he used to throw him in a room with pigeons. He said, he put me there naked. And I used to scream because the pigeons would get scared and they'd scratch me all over. His mother said, he says, she hit me so much and knocked me unconscious so many times that if I'd grab a knife and put it in, I wouldn't feel anything. He says this, he says, I know I was planted into the womb of a witch. Both his father and his mother were involved in seances and satanic worship and animal sacrifice. And this was a normal part of him growing up. He had a brother named Frank, and Frank went through the same thing. But eventually, he left Puerto Rico. He moved to New York. And in New York, he was a hard and violent man. He admittedly, self-admittedly says, I was a violent man. You can, there's some people that can get high on sex, and some get high on alcohol, but you can get high on all sorts of different drugs. He says, I was high on hate and violence. He became involved with the gang life and soon became a leader in the gang life. A gang called the Mau Maus. He said that it used to feel so good to hurt people the way that he was hurt growing up. Two people in his life, only two, spoke to the condition they saw in his heart. One was a psychologist. He said this, There's a dark side in your life that nobody can penetrate. 
You are walking straight to jail, to the electric chair, and then to hell. There is no hope for you. Let me say that again. You are walking straight to jail, the electric chair, and hell. There is no hope for you. Can you imagine growing up in that environment, getting to this place in your life where now you enjoy hurting people? That person looks at you, just points at you and says, there's no hope for you. You're already destined for hell. The first person in his life to speak was a psychologist. The second was a pastor. And he said this, he said, God has the power to change your life. He said, when I heard that, I started cursing him out. I started cursing him out. In fact, I spit in his face. How many know, how many have ever been spat in your face? How many have ever been cursed out by, by witnessing to somebody? How many would say, yeah, yeah, if, if somebody cursed me out, I'd probably just back up. Okay, you don't want to hear it, that's okay. If somebody spit in my face, I surely, I'd probably call the police or something. I don't want to mess with that person. We have to have a heart for the lost. Amen? Because when this pastor was spit in the face, when he was cursed out, he didn't run away or call the police. Here's what he said to him. He said, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece would still love you. The man said, it messed up my brain. It did damage to my heart. I began to question, and for two weeks, I could not sleep because I was thinking about what was love. Because one man said, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street, and every piece will still love you. The pastor was a man named Dave Wilkerson. And the, and the boy was, uh, uh, grew up to be the man named Nicky Cruz. He was a gang leader in New York, and today he's an evangelist preaching the gospel all over the world. Nikki and his gang showed up one of, at one of Wilkerson's rallies, and one by one they gave their lives to Christ. It was the, the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross. Nikki said it just grabbed him. It just grabbed him. He said, I was choked up with pain and my eyes were fighting tears. And the tears came down and more tears and I was fighting. And then I just surrendered. I let Jesus hug me. I let my head rest on him. I said, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And for the first time, I told somebody, I love you. He said, when I had opened my eyes, I got a new heart. I'd been born again. I am a child of the Lord. He said, I'm the most happy human being because I have reached thousands upon millions of people that have come to Jesus through my message. But the greatest success of my life was when I brought my mother and my father and my brother to Jesus. 
Come on. Amen. Isn't man that's powerful? That there is nobody that's lost. There is nobody that's just just gone. We all have the ability to reach people. It's this radical change that Jesus is talking about. Verse 9 says this, Nicodemus says to him, go go to the next one, sorry. Verse 9 says, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus answered, aren't you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Aren't you, I mean, you're, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, you, you're educated. Don't you understand these things? Truly, truly, he says, believe me when I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe when I tell you heavenly things? I mean, if I, if I tell you about things that are happening on the earth and you don't believe me, how are you going to believe me when I tell you about what's happening in heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is talking about himself. The Son of Man. Then Jesus speaks these words. He says this. Go next slide. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, listen to this carefully, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, whosoever believes in him, say whosoever, whosoever. believes in him may have eternal life. Now, without going into all of the ins and outs of different beliefs, I want to show you what this means. Because Jesus references Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He references an event that happened in the nation of Israel. It's in the book of Numbers. And without going into all of it right now, I want to I explain what it was. In the book of Numbers, we see the account that the people were speaking against God. They were complaining that they had been in what they had in Egypt was far better than what they had now. They were complaining because they had bread and they had, they had wine in Egypt, but, but now that they had their freedom, they had nothing. And in their complaining, they start complaining both against God and Moses, who God has set up as their leader. They started speaking about, about against God and Moses. And what happens is God sends what's called fiery serpents that bite them and many of them die. Why? Because they spoke against the Lord and the person that God had put in charge. Be careful what you say about me. (laughs) Some people are saying, oh boy, (laughs) getting in the weeds here. No, no. But we need to be careful about who we speak against, right? We don't want to speak against the Lord's anointed. This is what they were guilty of. It might feel good to get off your chest, but you'll bring a curse upon yourself. You say, Pastor David, you believe that? I've seen it. I have seen it. Be careful about who you speak against. The people, the people, they, they get bitten by these snakes and they come to Moses and they beg for forgiveness. It says this in Numbers 21, chapter, uh, 21, 7 through 9. It says this. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. They're desperate. They get to a place of desperation. Moses, please, we're sorry. Please forgive us. And Moses prayed for the people. Go to the next slide. 
And the Lord said to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. He says, okay, I sent down fiery serpents, but now, Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent. He makes what's called the brass serpent. And he says this, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, they shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, without going into a lot of the Jewish history here, uh, this serpent, this this pole of this brass pole, eventually starts to have, begins to have a name, and the name is called Nehushtan. We're going to get into that what that means way later on, but. Keep that in mind for future reference. But I want to speak about this because this is what, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man may be lifted up. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. You say, Pastor David, what's the point you're trying to make here? What's the point you're trying to make? It's important to notice that God supplied the way of healing, but it was the free will of the people to look upon it. Amen? God supplied the healing, but it was the free free will of the people. They had the choice to accept their healing to look upon it, to accept their healing, or to continue living in their sin. They had a choice. They had their free will. Jesus uses this example and says, just like Moses raises up the serpent, I will be raised up. And those who willingly look at me, those who willingly look at me, they will be saved. We will see this time and time again, that we need to respond to the Spirit's invitation. You have a choice. You you have the choice to ignore the presence of God. Right now. The Bible says eventually every knee will bow. Amen? Eventually every knee will bow. I believe we're, we're coming to that point faster and faster where every knee will bow. But right now in our free will, we have the free will to reject the offer of salvation. We have the free will to reject Christ in our life. We then go into what is likely the most famous verse in all of the Bible. How many ever ever watched a football game? If you watched a football game, you've seen this verse. I was watching the Olympics this last week, and somebody threw up John 3.16. Somebody was doing the luge or the bobsled or something like that. And as they were going around a corner, the camera came on and the guy went, and then it said John 3.16. I thought, wow, good for him. He probably got kicked out of there, but good for him. John 3.16. Say this with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. When I, when I grew up, it was everlasting life. Amen? I like new translations. One pastor broke this down in a way that I want to share with you today. This, uh, this one verse breaks down into seven, what's known as the seven wonders. One verse and seven wonders. What is this? I want to go with, uh, around this today. So it says this. 
for God. Who is God? God is the almighty authority. So loved the world. What does that mean? It's the mightiest motive. Why did God do this? Because he loved you. Why did God do this? Because he loves the world. That he gave his only son. By the way, that's the greatest gift. God gave his greatest gift. That whosoever, say whosoever. whosoever. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you're here, raise your hand. You're a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. That whosoever believes in him. That whosoever, it's the widest welcome. I like that, right? It's the widest welcome. That whosoever, who does that encompass? You and me and all those around you. Amen? Whosoever believes in him. They say, the pastor says, this is the easiest escape. Whoever, just simple, believes in him. It's the easiest escape. Should not perish. What does that mean? It means there's, you're going to be divinely delivered. Divinely delivered. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the priceless possession. To have everlasting life. F.F. Bruce said this, if there is one sentence more than any other which sums up the message of the fourth gospel, it is this. The love of God is limitless. It embraces all mankind. No sacrifice was too great to bring its immeasured intensity home to men and women. The best that God had to give, He gave. His Son who is well-beloved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Amen? I love that. Then it goes on. Go to the next slide. It says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, God did not send Christ here to condemn you. God did not send His Son down to condemn you, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe. Jesus didn't come to condemn you, but we will condemn ourselves should we not believe. If we do not believe that, we are condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This again shows the mission of Jesus as well as the responsibility that we have. He came to the world that we would be saved. He doesn't bring condemnation. We bring that on ourselves, right? And then it says this. Go to the next slide. It says this. And this is the judgment. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to say, uh-oh. Whenever you say, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be seen clearly that his works have been carried out in God. That it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There's a sober reality here. 
that despite the offering of God, there's some people who are just going to reject Him. Just outright reject Him. Why? They love wickedness. They willingly ignore the call of God. How many know some of those people in your life? We continue to pray for them. We continue, Lord, please provide a way for them. But they just continually, willingly ignore God's invitation. But then there are those who come to the light. Amen? They do what's true. They accept the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say this. There is a belief that's within different denominations and different churches that God did not come to save all. There's a belief that some people are predestined to heaven and some people are predestined to hell. By the way, I want to say we reject that belief. Amen? We reject that belief. We do believe that God in His omniscience, what does omniscience mean? Is all-knowing. God in His all-knowing sees who will accept Him of their own free will as well as those who will reject Him. God sees all this. God knows all this. But it doesn't take away from our choice. It doesn't take away from our free will. It doesn't take away from our choice to our loved ones or from strangers in the street. It's our job to present Christ to them, showing them that they have a choice to either embrace evil or embrace Christ. Amen? That is the mission of the church. That is the mission of the church. You know, I'm going to go into something here that that I wrote it down and I thought, I don't know if I should go into this, but I'm going to. How many are excited? How many are scared? That's okay. How how many uh, watch the Today Show? Ever see the Today Show or you see clips of it on YouTube or whatnot? uh, This last week, there was a lot of clips coming up on YouTube about... How many know who Kathy, Kathy Lee Gifford is? Kathy Lee Gifford. Here's the thing. I would never normally talk about Kathy Lee Gifford. Remember, uh, what was what was she on? Regis and Kathy Lee for years, right? Now she's on with Hoda Kotb or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I really, it's the Today Show, I suppose. But this last week, a clip came up where she gave an incredible witness of Christ in her life. She was speaking about the passing of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was 99 years old and ministered to millions of people, including her whole family was saved through that ministry. Her whole family, her husband, her, her parents, her, her whole family was saved through, her, through that ministry. And honestly, I'm not one to quote Kathy Lee Gifford often. I want to keep saying Kathy Griffin, but it's not. Uh, that's not a good person. Uh, I'm not one to quote Kathy Lee Gifford often, and honestly, we may not see eye to eye in everything. I'm sure we don't. But her words this past week, honestly, they caused me, they caused me to have tears come to my eyes. They caused my throat to swell up. Because what she shared about was why she is so bold about her faith. Why is she so bold about her faith? She said this, If you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it quiet? Or would you hold it and keep it a secret? She said, I always say that I have the cure for the malignancy of the soul. And he has a name. 
and his name is Jesus. She said this in front of millions upon millions of people watching on television. She said this, I feel so privileged to share the good news. Gospel means good news, and I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the living God. They are so very different. She ended it with this. We don't need more religion. We need more Jesus. Amen? I'm not one to say Kathleen Gifford, amen, hallelujah, but that's an amen, hallelujah. I wish I'd been in the audience that day. Amen, hallelujah. They'd say, who's that now, John? I'm Pastor David. How you doing? We want to share about what God's done in our lives. Amen. God wants us to be excited about what he's done in our lives. How many are excited about what God's done for you? You want to share it with your loved ones and, and your neighbors? And There's some people that say, well, you know, it's none of my business. I don't want to interfere with their life. Well, Pastor David, you, you don't understand. I mean, if I talk to them about Christ, they're going to make fun of me. Can you imagine if you had the cure for cancer? You just kept it a secret. Because you don't want to offend anybody. But we have the cure for the malignancy of the soul. And his name is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. If you'll stand with me this morning. Lord, I thank you that we are not called to a religion, but to a relationship. Lord, I thank you that, that Nicodemus comes at night and has this discussion with you. And we learn so much from this discussion. Lord, I thank you that you are reaching out to us continually. That whosoever, Lord, I thank you that I'm part of the whosoever. Lord, I thank you that we are part of the whosoever. That you love the world, that you gave your only son for us. Lord, we thank you for it. We do. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring this message to our minds as we go into our community this next week. Lord, as we talk to our relatives, to our friends, our our loved ones that may not know you. Lord, that you would bring it to our minds to share our testimony, our witness of your glory and your power. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your mercy and grace in our lives. In case you're wondering, Nicodemus, that's not the end of Nicodemus' story there. You'll see him at the end of Jesus' life. He uh, helps wrap the body with Joseph of Arimathea and lay Jesus in a grave only to see it be emptied three days later. We don't serve a dead Jesus this morning. We serve an alive, resurrected, holy, and powerful Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord, I pray over each person here. Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.